Hey everyone, Ed Helms here. You might know me as Andy from The Office or Stu from The Hangover, or you might know me as the co-founder of BGS. I know, I'm just as surprised as you. They let me co-found something. But here's the thing, we're doing it again. Yeah, this time we're leaping into our other deep love, the vast and vibrant world of country music with something we're calling Good Country. Now this isn't just another newsletter. Think of Good Country as a place. A place where you can explore, learn, and dig into all of what makes country good. Seriously, country music has so much going on these days, and it's coming from so many different deep and soulful places, and we're here to cover all of it. Just as we've done for Bluegrass and Roots Music at BGS for over a decade. So sign up now at goodcountrybgs.substack.com and let us bring you the many sides of country music straight to your inbox. Good country. It's a nice place to be. Hey, it's Cindy Howes from the podcast Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Check out our very special 250th episode featuring an interview and performance with Basic Folk co-host Lizzie No. I feel like most women I know have an experience where They've been working and working and working to perform and to execute and to please everyone else. And then things sort of fall apart a little bit in some way or another. And partying can actually be a really important step towards getting free because it shows you where you need to fall apart and being on the dance floor, like in community with mm. other women and mm -hmm. in community with queer people. Mm -hmm. Like for me, those experiences have been so important. This time, Lizzie is on the other side of the mic talking about and performing songs from their brand new album, Half Seas. Basic Folk's 250th episode with Lizzie No is streaming now on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. Join us there or wherever you get podcasts. Hello, it's Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. It's Cindy Howes. Thanks for finding us. Before we get into Brett Denon, I just want to make sure uh, I have a real quick question. Are you on our mailing list? If you're not, would you like to join? You can. The link is in the show notes, or you can just go to our website, basicfolk.com, and click on the red sign up for the newsletter link and you will be connected to us forever and always you can also follow us on social media at basic folk pod we are a listener supported operation you can make a financial contribution at basicfolk.com slash donate okay let's get into it brett denon is a songwriter painter and summer camp enthusiast his camp experience was instrumental in developing his musicality. He attended Camp Jack Hazard in the Sierra Nevada mountains, where young Brett was enamored with the music his camp counselors would play on a guitar around the campfire. He was introduced to Paul Simon, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, and John Denver, thanks to his counselors and his parents. He really developed as a songwriter in college at UC Santa Cruz. After school, he wove himself into the L.A. songwriter scene, which in the early early 2000s was a haven for musicians like himself, Alexi Murdoch, Damian Rice, and Josh Ritter. He developed a large fan base that remains loyal to this day. 
Brett talks about running his own summer camp, Camp Deneen, which allows him to create community through nature and art. He shares his experience of writing and thinking about being a dad and how that relates to the reality of fatherhood. And he talks about decidedly not being in the cool crowd and also not caring about it. Well, not caring about it as much as he used to. Brett's written some of my favorite songs of the 21st century. It was an honor to have him on the podcast. We'll listen to his latest song, This Is Gonna Be The Year, and then we'll get to our conversation with Brett Denon on Basic Folk. This is gonna be the year Something good is happening here I'm gonna make it true Lord knows I'm overdue This is gonna be the year Heaven above is my witness Can I get a witness? This is gonna be the year Whisper it's alright in my ear So dance me to the end of the night I knew you would shine I knew you would shine On you tomorrow when you open your eyes I knew you would shine I knew you would shine And you'll throw your arms around me and you kiss me that you never kissed me before my dear Brett Denon, so nice to see you Hi It's an honor, big fan Thank you And I'm excited to talk to you Well thanks, thanks for having me Of course You grew up in a small farm town about 90 miles from San Francisco You were homeschooled and started playing music pretty early since it was one of the only things to do in your small town. How do you think your town and your homeschooling has impacted who you are and the kind of musician that you chose to be? Well, being from a small town and being homeschooled gives you a lot of time to just be bored and be creative. And because of that, I just was always comfortable being creative. And since I was really little, I just considered myself an artist just because I would paint or draw or build things or make things and get attention from people, family and friends and neighbors for making things and being creative. So it just, I just always thought of myself as an artist since I can remember, you know. And I think that once I started really focusing on writing songs and being a musician, I had already made an identity for myself as an artist. So um, I think I just, it just all made sense. I knew who I wanted to be. I knew like that this is the life I wanted to live, being some sort of a creative type. And um, I've just always been comfortable Going to the places that you go to when you write songs, being in your head a lot, making up songs out of thin air with just words or ideas of stories and m- melodies and just just creating things. You know, I just uh, it takes 
to be a songwriter takes a lot of commitment and a lot of work. And I think that since I've always considered myself an artist, it's been, it's helped me. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about the satisfaction you'd feel and the, the goodness that you'd feel from like receiving attention because of your art? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really do that anymore. It's, I get satisfaction when I make something and I please myself. I was talking about when you were a kid. When I was a kid? Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. Then we can talk about what I was just about to talk about after because it, cause I don't really like, I don't know. I don't, I don't really look for, for, for uh, pr- praise or for acceptance through um, making art anymore. But when I was a kid, oh, yeah, because that was that was just the way I was making myself through the world. Other kids would get attention from running fast or being a, an athlete or something. And I just, since I can remember, I always got attention like, oh, you can draw a dog. Good job. I'm like, yeah, I can draw a dog. That's one of the things I can draw. Like, that's me. I'm a drawer. You know, I wanted people to like me. So, I mean, I remember going, when I went to public school in high school, I would draw things for people. Like, they would, some football players would come up to me like, can you draw a picture of me? standing on another football player from the other team's head with my arms up to the sky bolts of lightning coming down into my hands i want to i want to put that on my letterman's jacket (laughs) (laughs) and i love that very specific (laughs) well it happened (laughs) that guy's name was i think bobby henderson um i would do stuff like that it helped me because I was shy and awkward. Hmm. You are a painter and have painted your own album artwork, and you're just talking about drawing and painting. What's been your experience with painting? And for you, how does it differ from songwriting as a form of expression? Well, the nice thing the nice thing about painting or having some other creative outlet that's completely different than songwriting is that it comes it comes I don't know it comes from a different place and if like you people get writer's block or I don't know what they call it anymore but like the well gets dried up or maybe it's just like you don't have any ideas or you're not feeling inspired it's nice to have something else to do and usually if I'm painting, I'm listening to music or I'm listening to interviews or podcasts or something like that. And that usually somehow it opens up my subconscious and things creep in, you know, melodies Mm. creep in and words creep in. And it usually opens myself up to having some sort of inspiration for a song, even though I would never write that song, but it's kind of nice. It's like, one well goes dry and then you start doing something else and it primes the other well. I think being a p- 
painter helps my songwriting also just because when because lately I've been getting into abstract painting and and this would happen to me a little bit too when I would paint like landscapes or people you get but it's much quicker with abstract you just kind of just start painting not knowing what you're painting and when you do that that's just like opens up a whole world for you for songs like I always think I do my best songwriting when I'm not even writing a song with a guitar and or an instrument in my hand I always think I do the best songwriting when I'm walking or washing the dishes or driving on a country road or something something doing some task where it's like I, I can my mind can wander you mm -hmm. know and my mind wanders a lot when I paint because I'm just, you know, I'm just moving brushes and colors around. Now we get to talk about one of my favorite topics. Oh, yeah? Summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Your summer camp was instrumental in developing your musicality. You attended camp. Jack Hazard in the Sierra Nevada mountains where you wanted to be one of those counselors that played guitar around a campfire. And you actually did end up working there. What was your summer camp vibe like? And how do you try to cultivate that summer camp feeling into your career? <laughs> well, I mean, I, does summer camp, summer camp might mean different things to different people. I'm assuming you're on the East Coast. Are yeah. you? Yeah. So I don't really, I never went to a summer camp on the East Coast, but I assume it's like the summer camps you see in movies. Maybe there's like a, a Native American names and the boys camp and a girls camp and it's kind of kitschy, you know, like mm -hmm. Moonrise Kingdom a little bit. My camp... Summer camp in, in the mountains of California is, is a lot different. It's a little more like, or at least mine was a little more about camping, camping, like backpacking. And a little more about... You were in a tent. Yeah, roughing it. And we spent some of the time in like these little rustic wooden cabins that didn't have doors. And then we spent... We spent some of the time out hiking on the trail, setting, sleeping under the stars. When you're a kid, it's just the most magical thing, especially if you want you want to be somebody or be something, you know, which most kids do. Like you get to you get outside of your town and you're around other kids and you're having this incredible experience redefining who you are or finding mm -hmm. out who you are. And you're sharing that experience with other people. And um, so that's like the thing that I think is the most magical about it. And then, then there's songs that you sing and that's sort of how I learned to play guitar. And it's the tone that I try to tap into whenever I write songs or put on a concert. Just that spirit, that feeling of like everything can be new again whenever you want it to. And it can have that magic and life is meant to be inspired. Hmm. It seems like your parents and your camp counselors were introducing you to the music that would most come to influence you, like Paul Simon, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, John Denver. 
What was it that you enjoyed most about the way they shared that music with you? And how has it come to impact the type of music fan or music sharer that you are? Well, I mean, the way the way my parents would share music with me was just they listened to music. And I just as a kid, I, I liked listening to it. Like when the when I was little driving around in the Volkswagen, my parents had a cassette player in the car and they would always listen to Paul Simon's Graceland or they'd listen to Neil Young, Harvest Moon and just like, I don't know. There's like now I drive my kid around and it's like, what do you want to listen to? And we listen to, he likes, the, there's just so much kids music on Spotify and it's all really good. But it's it's not like I'm just putting on music and he has to deal with it. But he likes a lot of rock and roll. <laughs> he likes a lot of rock and roll too. I mean, he loves the White Stripes. And but like, it's not like I'm playing him. Um, it's not like I'm driving around playing the White Stripes and he's got to deal with it. He just I'm always showing him stuff. This is rock and roll. This is rap, and he'll grab onto some songs. But he's still got a choice in the matter. Like when I was a kid, it was just my parents. When we'd be at home in the house. My dad would put on Willie Nelson records. And, you know, if I wanted to listen to whatever I wanted to listen to, it was like whatever we had, which was Raffi or the Beatles or the Beach or the Beach Boys. That that was my record collection. So it's just a way to kind of it's just like, I don't know, it's the that's the we're the family. We're the family that listened to Neil Young and Paul Simon in the car. That was just the way it is. And then at camp. I got to know all these songs through hearing people sing them at the campfire. It's like, what's this song? Oh, this is the song we sing. Oh, we sing Neil Young who comes to time at night right before we go to bed. Like, to me, that's the, the coolest way to get to know music. It's like, oh, this song has a function. This song has a purpose. We're singing this song because life moves and changes and there's a time when trees are growing tall in the forest and then there's a time when trees are laying down on the ground and decomposing and there's a time when you're young and wild and a free spirit and you're drifting and there's a time when you it comes a time when you settle down and now you gotta settle down and go to bed (laughs) you know (laughs) it uh it's it's cool to get introduced to music that way when songs have purpose Mm -hmm. And they're part of yeah. a, a part of a bigger me- message. You started running a type of summer camp of your own called uh, Camp Denon, um, which is an inspiring and engaging weekend of community, adventure, creativity, and growth in the same area that you went to summer camp in this year in Nevada Mountains. It sounds amazing, and you've done I think one or two. I did it once last year, and then so I'm going to do it. Yeah, I did it once last year, and I'm going to do it two times this year, but the weekends are going to be longer this year. That's cool. So after spending that much time with a small group in nature, what were you surprised to learn about yourself through that experience? (sighs) Well, the biggest thing I learned about myself, I don't know if this is if I learned it or if I just remembered it. But I'm terrible at um, – I'm, I'm not good in the service industry. 
I'm good at taking people on hikes and leading campfires and getting people in a camp spirit and teaching people how to do things outdoors. But I'm not good at like, making sure the coffee's hot and the breakfast is good and that everybody's <laughs> happy with their meal. So I'm going to... Hire a chef. I'm gonna farm that out, yeah, this next time. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I can't help you there, but uh, I can make some recommendations. <laughs> Camp Denon allows you to create community through nature and art, where you want to create something at the camp that people could take home with them and share with others. So. I don't know if this was true or not, but like, how are you able to observe people who maybe consider themselves not creative actually become creative thanks to community and nature? Well, I mean, everybody can be creative, I think. I think, I mean, I think everybody can write a song. I think everybody can, has something to say. You know, it's just a matter of are they willing to allow themselves the space, then the freedom and the authority to to do it? Because it's hard. I mean, painting a picture and being all right with it, with what you paint, is hard. Writing a song or a poem and being all right with what it is, no matter if what it what it's like like if you you think it could be better or if you're ashamed of it or whatever it it's hard to do something and and be okay with it so i think i think if there's a bunch of people and they're far away from their cities and all their stress at home and their phones don't work and they're they're in the mountains and their phones don't work and they're in a new place that they're slightly uncomfortable with but they're really excited to be there and it's beautiful and your body's getting tuned to the rhythm of nature and you just you all the stuff that you're normally attached to is not with you anymore i think something really magical can happen because you're around a bunch of other people who are going through the same experience and you have each other and there's a little shift that happens inside of you and you look around and other people are having that shift also. And it's like a part of you opens up and you see it in other people happening at the same time. And then without even really trying, you start you form a community. And you form a bond with people. And when that happens, it's um, you can do anything. I mean, you can encourage each other to be artists. You can encourage each other to climb to the top of a mountain. You can encourage each other to share your deepest hope and dreams and fears and whatnot. Just magical things can happen. You just have to put yourself in a, in a place to do it. The camp... Uh, makes me think of a couple different things. Um, this this is like a strange transition, but stick with me here. Uh, it makes me think of like the level of musician you are, as in like in your career. Like it's a very clever and cool and indie artist thing to do. 
um, but you have like a big enough and a loyal enough fan base to have it be successful and something that you can go back to again and again. So to me, your large and loyal fan base, this is where it's like kind of a weird switch, but your loyal fan base seems to like overpower how much of like a media darling you are, if that makes sense. Like Tegan and Sarah have talked about this before where they never got coverage from like cool, quote unquote, cool media outlets, but they have like this huge fan base and amazing career. And your situation seems similar to me. I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but like what is your relationship with wanting to be a quote unquote cool artist oh. <laughs> and also remaining yourself and remaining true to your fans. I mean, there was a time there was, I spent many years wishing I could be a cool artist or I spent a ton of time being jealous of other people for the looks that they would get. And, you know, people would say this person is such a great songwriter or, you know, this person's album is critically acclaimed, but I mean, I I haven't been in a cool magazine or anything like that. I haven't gotten anything, any cool reviews in, I mean, like probably like 15 years. So I'm just lucky because I'm older. I have age. Um, I have years on my side. Like you, you stop caring about stuff like that after a while. It's like you're like, well, this is what it is. Like I made a new album or I have a new song out. It's not gonna be on any cool hip indie playlist or anything like that. But uh, that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you do anything long enough, you stop caring, you know? Yeah. It is kind of, to me, it's kind of bizarre because you are a cool artist. Like, I feel like if you have the type of fan base that you have, I don't know, like a Jason Mraz or a Jack Johnson or Josh Ritter, those guys all have, like, huge fan bases that will stick with them, mm-hmm. but, like... How many of them have like NPR tiny desk? Jack Johnson doesn't. I'm just appalled. <laughs> is all I'm appalled for. I you. know, but he would be the perfect guy to have a tiny desk too. He just roll in like in flip flops and a guitar, and it would sound amazing. I know. Agreed. Okay, that was fun. Thanks for talking about that. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't care. <laughs> No, he lives in Hawaii. He doesn't care about anything. I, mm-hmm. I mean, he cares about a lot of things, but not that stuff. <laughs> you started playing music on the guitar. What kind of learner were you? How hard was it for you to get a grasp on playing? And how has the way that you learned guitar impacted the type of musician that you are now? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Uh, well, when I first started playing guitar... It was like a lot of people learned to play guitar, at least from my generation. You sit in a little room in the back of a music store. <laughs> and uh, you're, you're sitting across from some, like, your kid, and you're sitting across from some guy that seems like he's like a rock god or something. But really, he's probably a teenager or a burnout. 
and <laughs> you just learn licks on the guitar and how to shred. He's like, I'm going to teach you the solo now to this song or this. And you, you learn tablature and you, he gives you something to practice. And it was just, the whole experience for me was really intimidating. I wouldn't, I, I told my parents I wanted to take guitar lessons, so they paid for guitar lessons for me. But then I would never practice the stuff that he gave me to practice until right before I would go to my lesson. And I don't know if he was like, oh, this kid's not practicing, or if he was like, this kid's just not getting it, not very good. But whenever somebody would say, oh, do you play guitar? I'd be like, yeah, let me show you what I do. And I would get really excited. It took me a long time to figure out that all I needed to do was just quit taking guitar lessons. And then <laughs> I would progress playing guitar because he he taught me how to read tablature and he taught me how to like listen and use my ear. So as soon as I quit taking guitar lessons, I would buy magazines and learn how to play the songs based on the notation in the magazines and or listen to something and try to find it on the guitar. You know, so you just, it, I don't know. I don't know what the right way to learn guitar is. The, the, most, the most important thing is to just have somebody who's inspired to learn and wants to learn. Because I was like a terrible student. But, <laughs> but like, like we're talking about camp. Like when I started going to camp and all the coolest camp counselors were the ones who were playing guitar around the campfire and I wanted to be them that was oh, oh, oh I gotta learn these songs I gotta figure out how to play these songs so that someday when I'm a counselor I get to be the one up there back when you, know. you cared about being cool yeah <laughs> was um guitar part of like your homeschool curriculum no no no, I had my grandmother gave us a guitar to play, and she also gave us a piano, and she was a really good piano player. And so we would fiddle around on it, but no, we just, I don't really know. My mom says she followed a, a Waldorf curriculum. I think she would get, she would buy the books and just teach us what was in the books. But no, mostly what we did was just experiential. We'd be outside in the garden mm. or on hikes or in the yard and, you know, learning through doing. Sweet. Like 4-H. Oh, yeah. Did you guys we, have 4-H in your town? We, there was lots of 4-H in our town, but I, I wasn't, a, wasn't a part of it. I didn't I have any H's. Oh, too bad. Damn. Your music I find to be very playful, and you as a person also come off as rather playful, which is cool that you have that combo. So how have you been able to transfer that side of your personality into your songs? Well, I mean, I don't want to be playful. I wish I could be like sad guy. <laughs> it just seems like the world loves sad guy music of somebody up there to only write songs about having a broken heart it just seems like people never get tired of that and there's just but every time i try to write a sad song it's just not very good and i don't want to be sad all the time up on stage so what i try to do is i just try to write songs that are interesting to me or that maybe they're just songs that 
only I could write, even if it's very generic. It just in the time that I'm writing it, it feels like only I can write this song. <laughs> and and it, it, it's really hard to be funny in a song. I always try. I don't know. You know, sometimes I can be funny, but I don't know. I, it's really hard because music doesn't have the timing that jokes do. But you can definitely be playful. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely sound try to sound happy. And I used to think that. I just wanted to sound happy, but now I think I just want to sound positive. And positive is different because positive, you could still be, it could be a heavy song, but there's, there's light. It could come across mm. as feeling light. And that's mm. something that I didn't really understand until I saw Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> because when I was a kid, I loved Metallica because they just, they were so heavy. And I went through a phase of trying to be heavy. And I always wanted to see a Metallica concert. And I never got the chance until I was an adult. And I saw them headline a festival in San Francisco and they were just playing such heavy music but there was so much love coming off of the stage somehow they played like and they had pyrotechnics and everything but it's just the energy was so good so that's what i try to do like i i want to give myself a chance to write a sad or a mad or a mean song but if like the energy in it is positive mm. then it's then it's all good in college you went to uc santa cruz you really developed as a songwriter your songs are warm, expressive, and relatable, and you've seemingly always followed your arrow and have never attempted to write music for the masses. You say, I just follow inspiration and in what feels right. So is it possible to put into words how it feels to receive inspiration and when something feels right, and how in tune are you with those feelings? Oh. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know how to put into words what, like, how you feel inspiration, but it's, it's like if you're, it's like you, you get an idea and you do whatever you can to hold on to it. It could be that, like, you know, pull the car over, or get my phone out and sing into my phone, you know, it could be that, or... You could just think that inspiration is everywhere and ideas pop into your head and you could say, oh, it's like if I don't if I don't hang on to it, it's not meant to be. And I'll make my own inspiration by putting my, you know, it could be it could be either. I just know that when you get inspired, it's like all you want to do is is work out what could be come of this idea that you have. So no, I can't really put it in doors. <laughs> well, maybe that's was, good. But what was the, the second? Sauce. The second. 
the second part of it. How in tune are you with those feelings? Sounds like pretty in tune. Oh yeah, I'm pretty in tune with it because I can. I have a really good ability to uh, block out the rest of the world. If I got it, like I said before, when I do my best writing, when I'm not sitting with a guitar, like it's something about sitting in a in an empty room with a guitar just kills inspiration for me. I do my best writing when I'm just like. Not when I'm far away from a guitar. And like I said, it could be washing dishes or whatever, but I could be in a room or at a place with a bunch of other people and I could just like tune everybody out because I'm like thinking about a song. And that's how I do a lot of my songwriting is I start working out an idea. I get a picture of what I think the verses and the choruses will be. But then it'll just be like a piece of cut or in my mouth or something. And I'll just chew on it forever and I'll think about it all the time. <laughs> And I'll just like, I'll just like, whenever. Are you sure you weren't in 4-H <laughs> talking about cuts, you and cuts? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, like if I, and if I, whenever I can give myself time to let my mind wander, that's where it'll go. It'll go to mm. that thing I'm working on. So, yeah, I would say, I'd say I'm pretty in, in tune to it. Cool. You write alone, mostly, Mm -hmm. 90% of the time. And of co-writing, you're funny. You say, I'm way too picky and stubborn. It's hard for me to put aside one of my ideas and go with somebody else's when I like my own idea better. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) However, you have had success with co-writing on the Let's and Here's Looking at You EPs where you co-wrote with Dan Wilson, as well as your friend and mine, Jenny Owen Youngs. What did you learn about writing from that experience that you could then apply to your own songs? Well, from Jenny, her thing was, she was all about, let's just... uh, get a pen and a paper out and let's just start writing. Let's just spitball ideas and write. Like she, she, I had never seen somebody write like that before. It looked like she was like a journalist in a newsroom, like trying to get the facts down on a piece of paper. And she was going to go back and, and write an article or something. And, <laughs> and so I was like, Oh yeah. Like she's just sitting on the floor cross-legged. Like she's really, I'm too, I can be like, Oh, if I don't have an idea right now, I'll just, I'll just put it down and I'll just go outside and go for a walk. And then maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll try writing the song again. She's like cross-legged on the floor with a yellow pad out. Just like, how about this and then how about that? And how about that? And I'm like, ah, oh, we really got to do this. <laughs> and... <laughs> And Dan, Taskmaster. And Dan is just like, oh, a song can just be about anything. A song can just be about anything. It doesn't have to be about anything or nothing at all. Like, what did you do today? Like, he would start. He had started sessions with me where we would just talk. The three of us would talk, and then at some point he'd say. I like what you said about this. Maybe that's how we should start our song. I'm like, huh? 
What? Like, I liked what you said earlier about sometimes you feel like you're a red wine stain on a carpet. I think that should be our song. Like, oh, okay. And then we just start working away on it. And he's all about just having fun and playing around and just turning the microphones on. And... Sounds like two opposite processes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with between him and Jenny or... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, well, originally I was just trying to work with him just to do it, just to, like, maybe teach myself something. And he's like, no, I want to get Ginny involved, too. And I was like, okay, you're the master. And then the three of us, I did, it did feel like like a, a funny group of people. But, I, you know, I guess I, I, guess I learned a lot. That would be a great in the round. Brett Denon, Dan Wilson, Jenny Owen Youngs. We'll do it at the hotel cafe and charge a thousand dollars a ticket. <laughs> Free idea. <clears throat> so speaking of hotel cafe, after college you moved to LA and you really went at a like pretty interesting time for singer-songwriters in Los Angeles around like 2004, 2005. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The NPR music station KCRW was breaking people left and right, like Alexi Murdoch, Damian Rice, yourself. You often played at Hotel Cafe, which was also experiencing this like surge in songwriter popularity. You got a record with Dual Tone. Just seems like a very special time. So what can you say about that time in Los Angeles and how you reflect on being able to find success at that particular time? Like when I think about that, it seems like lightning in a bottle. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when I started playing in LA, I got lucky enough to, to find the hotel cafe and I didn't know it. I didn't know it was special because I don't see anything like that now at least not in LA and it was just a time for singer-songwriters and I mean everything you said was true I mean it was like and everything fed each other like record label A&R and executive people would be hanging out at the hotel cafe KCRW people would be there you get your songs on KCRW, you get record deal, you play in the, you play in the hotel cafe and it would be filled with a bunch of other great singer-songwriters and I I mean all those things that you just said are exactly true. I remember I'm meeting Alexi Murdoch at the hotel cafe and watching him play and then being at hotel or after parties in the Hollywood Hills and he would be there. I remember when Damien Rice blew up and the guy that signed him to Warner Brothers came and had me come and he wanted to sign me to Warner Brothers, but for whatever reason he didn't, I signed to Dual Tone. It was just all it was just all happening and so many singer songwriters were getting record deals. And I think it was just a it was kinda like the last time for that. I'm sure it'll come back around again, but I think it was the last time for the singer songwriter to be a hot commodity in the in the mm-hmm. in the folky kind of in the more folky kind of sense obviously there's mm-hmm. amazing singer songwriters nowadays but it's not like 
people sitting around backstage with guitars, getting drunk and going up on stage and sharing stage with each other in a little club in Hollywood. Like I don't really, I don't see that anywhere else. It was pretty magical. It was fun, but mm. but um, I didn't like. I didn't. A lot of the greats that were part of that hotel cafe scene would be there every night. Would just be hanging out there every night. And I I lived on the west side, and so I would only come and go. I'd come and go, and then I was already starting to make make a a name for myself touring around the country. So I'd just go out and tour a lot where a lot of people would just stay in LA and and play in the hotel cafe. So I always felt like I was kind of one foot in the door and one foot out of the door, like adjacent to the scene. Hmm. Like you're saying, you were touring up and down the West Coast, building a following, which, you know, I've talked about in this interview of like you have such a loyal um, audience that's remained by your side throughout your career. So how did you first connect with your audience in those days? And how has that like initial spark of connection remained? Um, Well, in my mind at the time, I was connecting with people by just saying, okay, here I am. I'm a different person artist i'm somebody new and i'm different i have a different kind of song and i perform differently and it's my own unique thing and that i would just try to win people over like that um and i don't know how i keep people coming back other than I try to explore. I mean, I try to explore a lot musically. I try to always do new and different things, but I always try to carry some kernel or flame of like what I used to be. I always try to keep keep the spirit there. Hmm. (laughs) Um, you're a dad. Is it okay yeah. to talk about that? Sure. To talk about your son? I'm an awesome kid. How old is he? He's four, and uh, he's going to be five in July. So you've spent a lot of time thinking about and writing about what you thought it would be like to be a father, <laughs> concerns about being away from your family yeah. for tour, and what your kid's life is going to be. And these songs are interesting because you'll be able to reflect on them in such a different way than your previous work. I don't know if that's exactly true, but like think in thinking about reflection, how do you see those songs about fatherhood evolving for you already and how do they help you navigate being a parent? It's crazy because when I when I first became a dad, I thought like I was so in it in the this like the experience of this new world that I thought like songs are, I'm forever changed. Like songs are only going to be about this now. Like I, I'm it's my perspective on life is different. Like everything is more meaningful. I, everything I have to do, I have to do for my son, especially the songs I write. 
But then after a while, I think it's just becoming a dad or being a dad became more normal. And now I'm like on to writing things about, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm here's a song about two dogs. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I have a song that I'm working on about two dogs. But there was a while there where I was like, it, it can't be any different than this. And I'm so glad I was in that space. Because mm-hmm. then I moved through it, but I'm so glad I was in that space because, like, I needed so much of, like, I would say most singer-songwriters would say that they, p- part of part of what they do is to figure out, is to, is to write, they're, like, writing their, their way through life, and they're writing, mm-hmm. they're writing meaning into their life and I didn't I had no I was clueless on what it really means to be a parent and so I just started writing the way I felt about being a parent so I could understand it yeah even now like some of the songs that are only a couple of years old I look back I'm like whoa like I'm not I remember being in that place when I wrote that song and I'm not in that place anymore I still love my child more deeply than ever but like I was going through an identity change. Hmm. And when I go through an identity change, I write, I write about it. Your latest song, This Is Going To Be The Year, is about being brand new again. Um, it was released close to the new year, which was very clever on your part. <laughs> um, you've been reflecting on recent social media posts about how this is going to be the year to play more shows, write more, run more, make more art, stop comparing myself to other people, which is a good one. Um, (laughs) How do you relate to new beginnings and how, if at all, has this song helped you express that? Well, new beginnings are the easiest thing to relate to because you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, it's just an open book. It's like, it's like a V. It's like everything is just expanding from there. So it's exciting. And you fill, you fill that openness with all the possible things that you could do. So, I love new beginnings. Hmm. Love them. I love change. Really? Yeah. Don't hear that too often. Well, okay. (laughs) I don't (laughs) like going... I like change when the process of changing is over. I don't like going through a change... But like when you get to the place where you've gone through the transformation and then you feel like it's a new beginning, I love that. I can agree with that. I can see that, yeah. So you want the reward, but you don't want to do the work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and the work, because the work is... My life goal. Yeah, well, the work is always uncomfortable. I mean, and sometimes it's not even work. Sometimes it's just it's just sitting through yeah. something painful. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, uh, you don't see yourself as a musical activist, but you like to get involved in the communities where you play. And it's often environmental restoration projects, which is pretty cool. You say, everywhere I play has some beautiful natural features and people who care about them. Yeah. Does that all sound accurate? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. How has this practice made you more in tune with the environment and environmental causes? Um, well, first of all, I mean, part of the reason I started doing it is just to have something to do and connect with people on tour to get outside and have people show me some cool places because I mean, there's just so many amazing things to see that you'd never get to see if you just stay in a car or a tour bus or a venue. But, um, you know, the more you go and meet people who care about their local environment and the more you go and see different places and places that people love and hear about how people love those places and you just see beautiful nature and and it's on its own the more all over the world the more you do that the more you realize uh, that we're all really connected through that we're all really connected through earth but also more importantly that earth is just like there's nothing separate in earth it's just and i know you know this and everybody listening knows this but it's just like <laughs> but to really think about it and you don't have to get high to think about it but you it helps to see just to go out and see it like earth is just this one big thing that's all connected like every drop of water is connected to every other drop of water. Like a little drop of water in a stream in Wisconsin is connected to a drop of water in Argentina. It's just the same water. It's like it's all we're all just on this same big planet. And because it's all connected, because of this, everything affects everything else. And so no matter where you are, and no matter what you're working on or what you care about, it matters because it affects everything else. Wow. Woo. <laughs> Mic drop. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, will you do the lightning round? What's that? It's a quick back and forth where you answer fun trivia questions about yourself. Very quickly. Okay. All right. You're going to love it. Okay. Okay. Here we go. No. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Are they yes or no questions? Are they? No, they're not. You You have to come up with them from your brain. All right. Okay. Here we go. Brett Denon. Yeah. What is a song that makes you cry every time? Mercy Me. What is the best place in California? Oh, man. Well, is this one of those things where if I tell you, are they really going to go? I'll go. I'll say it. The Emigrant Wilderness in the Stanislaus National Forest. Okay. I'm there. What color is your soul? It's like teal. 
Ooh, like it. <laughs> Goes my soul. Yeah. S- simple question. Who is your celebrity crush? Um, me- I don't even know how to say her name, but it's I think it's Marion Cotillard. Wow, she's French. And she was in a movie uh, where they cut her legs off. Yikes. That's <laughs> rough. What is your most useful non-musical skill? Um, I'm incredibly... I uh, have a, um, an internal compass. Not a moral compass, a real compass. I always know where North is. And I always know, even in New York City, getting out of a subway, I know like which way uptown, downtown is. You can put me anywhere in the country, in the world, and I'll know where the north. I'll, I'll have my bearings. And it's not like That's I so just. Interesting. It's not like I just naturally like. You can't like put a paper bag over my head and spin me around and put me in the trunk of a car and take me somewhere and do that. No, it's more like, it's more like I just always, I keep in mind where things are. If I'm traveling or if I'm moving, if we're driving, if I'm in a cab or something like that, I just, I'm always remembering which direction we're heading. Whoa. Have you, okay, yes, that's great. Thank you, Brett Denon. That's the end of the lightning round. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was You're really welcome. great talking to you. All right. Good talking to you. This episode of Basic Folk was produced by me, Cindy House. Alex Stanton composes our music. Basic Folk is on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes there. You can search for Basic Folk on the SiriusXM app. You can check us out wherever you get podcasts, or you can go to our website, basicfolk.com. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Mm, bye.